Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where Catholic truth is served fresh daily. We've made you a reservation in the luxurious corner booth, so come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzezemski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, and it's always better when I have a guest, because I don't want to be sitting here in this Catholic Cafe all by myself, uh, drinking my coffee. So I've got a great guest. Uh, This is, um, you know, Leah, I'm so glad that you're joining us here. Many people may or may not have heard your name before, but Leah Labresco Sargent. Uh, and you can find her at leahlabresco.com, right? Is that still true? That is. It's not leahlabrescosargent.com. I was <laughs> too cheap to buy a second URL. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you're here, Leah. Um, this is going to be an interesting show uh, because, I mean, we're going to talk about, well, we're talking a lot of things, but uh, maybe from your perspective about um, uh, your conversion to Catholicism, really uh, atheism, that's kind of a big word. And very like, it's like loaded with stuff you would say atheism everyone thinks like oh i know what that is it's like i don't know you know uh and so i'm so glad that you took the time to come and join us here in the catholic cafe to talk about a little bit about you and your your um your history or your or your conversion story uh where you came from i will say a few things uh, that well, we'll just say a former atheist and it's better that you're former than a than a current atheist, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Uh, you haven't changed your mind. I just want to make sure. Because we're very open here at the Catholic Cafe. Give you every opportunity to recant if you wanted to. No, no. no of course not. Former atheist, and you're, you, know, you were originally from Long Island. Mm-hmm. All right, very good. And you received into the Catholic Church on the Feast of Christ the King. What an awesome feast to, to join the Catholic Church. And you did that in 2012. So it's been a little time. You know, you're not a... You're not a newbie, but you're still kind of fresh. I'll be 10 years old next year. I'm so excited. Yes, exactly. That's great. Uh, you're also the author of a couple of books. Uh, one of them is called Arriving at Amen. Well, it's a little bit about your conversion story. Uh, and then also Building the Benedict Option, which is really about sort of building a thicker Christian community. I've never heard that expression, a thicker community, but I like that. And my focus is really on doing it where you are now over the time scale of the next two weeks to two months, that there's nothing you have to wait for till you oh, buy a cool. house, till you get married. Where you are now, how can you grow in friendship with others that's rooted in Christ? Now, how many times have we not done something because we were planning to get all these other things done first? And, you know, I talked to folks, you know, who, who like, I always wanted to have more kids. It's like, yeah, the time starts now. Because <laughs> <Yep. laughs> later it's not going to be as easy. We'll just mm-hmm. say it that way. Um, and you currently reside in Falls Church, Virginia. Mm-hmm. And you're there with your wonderful husband, Alexi. Mm-hmm. And you've got Beatrice. Yeah, she's a, a toddler. Yeah. Yes, that is awesome. And you got one on the way. So That's God right. bless you on that. That is awesome. Um, and you work for Braver Angels. Mm-hmm. Um, and tell us what Braver Angels is. It's a nonpartisan group that facilitates cross-partisan dialogue and debate. And my focus is really on that latter, bringing people together to have Sometimes for the first time in their life, a good experience of disagreeing with someone about things that matter. Well, if, if I've, I've never heard anything more foreign to, <laughs> to the current culture uh, than having people disagree well. Uh, and so you're helping to facilitate that. So that is actually quite unique and quite interesting. Um, and so I guess maybe we should just start with like, how do, you grow up an atheist. And does that mean you had, did you did you even have an experience of religion growing up at all? I mean, what was your experience if there was one? Not really. And I think it's important to remember that there are a lot of different kinds of atheists. And I'd run into people who would mistake me for a different kind. You oh. Know? Ooh, I think people imagine an atheist as someone who's angry, who has an experience with the church that's dissatisfying, that drives them away. 
I had a friend who encouraged me to try and try and pray and just say what I was angry about to God. And of course, there wasn't anything. I didn't believe in God. He'd never let me yeah, well, down. Why would, you, why would you say that to God if he didn't believe him? <laughs> exactly. And I think that's different than someone who had a relationship with God you know, and then came to reject it or see it as false. But to me, God had never let me down any more than the man in the moon had. You know, it's just not part of my life growing up. And it's important kind of when you're reaching out to different people to ask, who is this particular atheist? Because atheism is just a, a very simple statement, the absence of a belief in God, but it doesn't tell you much about what that person does believe in or does found their right. life on. And that could be, uh, and that's important information, right? Because when you're trying to have a dialogue with somebody, and that's also kind of a, you know, taking more steps back, a kind of a difficult thing to do in this day and age to have a dialogue. I mean, civil discourse seems like it's gone out the window, but if you're trying to genuinely um, talk to somebody about something, you want to know more about them, right? And that's a hard, that's a hard thing to do, isn't it? And I think it's important to, to be genuinely interested because you can't have an argument with someone who's a generic avatar for an idea. You have to know what they're particularly interested in. So it's worth asking you know, you don't believe in God, you know, how do you approach moral decisions? And not as a gotcha, you know, how can you have a moral philosophy right. as an atheist, but with a genuine curiosity. Because when you ask that question, you know, how do you approach moral questions? What is your life founded on? In some sense, you are always asking, where are you pursuing or seeing God, even though the person you're asking isn't going to see it or answer it in that terms. But God is seeking all of us. You can kind of get curious about what he's doing in someone's life. You know, with his hand being hidden. I think, you know, I think one of the first mistakes that a lot of people make uh, about atheism is they assume that if you're an atheist, you don't believe in God. That means then why not? Why wouldn't you just be lawless? Like, why would you even desire to have a moral life? Right, because aren't all morals based on God's law? Right, that's this is the first thing that people think, and that's really not a mistake Christians should make because we believe that the natural law is written on the hearts of man. Oh, but that was created by God. Well, but since we believe that that's true, we believe that all our friends who aren't religious have access to that natural law. They may not know its author, but they know it. And for me, that was always a part of my life. You know, what I believed most of all was that the moral law was real, that it was important. That it was something like mathematics, something that's outside ourself that we can uncover like an archaeologist, not something we build like an architect. And I always started with that idea. And then the question was, how do we come to know it? What does it consist of? But there's almost no one you can find even self-professed relativists who really don't believe there's a moral ordering to the world. It's it's as hard to live that way as it is right. to say, I don't believe in the reality of the material world. I just drive my car through trees because they're all illusion. Well, you know, if you were down here in the South, they would have said, oh, bless her heart. She's just a misguided girl who just, you know, she's really just, she's, she's looking for God, you know, and that's, and, and, but there was a, but there, they would have seen that you're, you desired to live in a society uh, and have a good life and have others to have good lives, right? So you, you sort of desired a moral good, right? Did that, did that, uh, was that misunderstood a lot when people saw you as an atheist or did you, were you surrounded by people that kind of thought, um, no, this is perfectly natural for atheism. It depended on where I went. So a lot of my encounters with people who were religious, who I respected, and where I had kind of sustained dialogue came in college, where I joined a debate group full of weirdos, where everyone was ardently pursuing the good. Technically, even the nihilists yes. said there wasn't a good, but wanted us to know, right? You know, They never thought it was unimportant to tell us that. 
And our friendships were really founded in these disagreements over the good, where even as we disagreed about what a good life consisted of or who was responsible for authoring it, the fact that we loved each other in our very weird college 2 a.m. pizza ways yes. meant we wanted to invite each other into whatever we believed the good life was. And you had happiness, you had joy, you had friends. I mean, there were things in your life that you would have like that any quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes and on the radio, it doesn't really count, but uh, you know, that a, a, a good person would would have and so people would hopefully would they'd see that and they'd recognize that though it's funny you're saying you know, i had happiness and i did though as an atheist and still as a catholic that wasn't what i cared about most you could be happy and be wrong about what makes you happy happy and take yes. pleasure in things that are bad and i knew that as an atheist so sometimes people go like well you know the, the most insulting thing anyone said to me after i converted was someone who said oh well you know it's fine that you're becoming catholic as long as it makes you happy oh yeah right <laughs> and i said who cares if it makes me happy i'm becoming catholic because i think it's true truth and that's beautiful now and the way we'd see it maybe in hindsight is that truth will lead us ultimately to happiness but but was, not immediately exactly you know, we can't navigate just by happiness and then there's redemptive suffering so there's mm-hmm. there's that too, and I like to distinguish between happiness and joy. Like joy can be something, and and I know that those can be interchangeable at times, and I certainly don't want to argue that. But but like sometimes I always see happiness sort of as a fleeting, like an emotional response, whereas joy there's like this sense of hope. Like even though I'm suffering from cancer, I've lost my job, my my wife has left me, whatever, I can still have joy in life because I know that there's uh, something redemptive about what's happening. Well, I think the other thing is that we, if we navigate just by happiness, we won't give up bad habits because there's kind of a moat of unhappiness while yeah. we struggle with them. You know, and I think of it, you know, that the moral life is not that different from physical posture in some ways. You can get stuck in a hunch that's bad for you, that's doing progressive harm to your back, right? That's making it harder to take pleasure in your body. But it's still uncomfortable to shift out of it. Mm. It takes an active effort. It feels unnatural because whatever we're not used to feels unnatural, even when it is what our bodies were made for. And similarly, morally, if we're stuck in a persistent sin or way of looking at the world, the shift is painful because it means shifting out of what feel has come to feel natural to us. But it matters. That's why why it matters what we think is true. Yeah. Because if we go, well, this is what my body is made for. This is what my heart is made for. I'm willing to endure the discomfort of changing my habits because I understand that I'll only be fully happy being who I'm made to be. But there will be a real just uncomfortable period in between. They, they say when you're... Uh if you're actually searching for truth, be careful because you just might find it, mm-hmm. right? And I, and I don't know that like when you're, uh, as, as a truth-seeking atheist, it, it, that you, were, you had this idea that one day you'd be Catholic. I don't know that that was necessarily on your radar. I didn't. That there was a point where I was willing to concede you know, that if Catholicism was true, I wanted to be Catholic. I didn't think it was. So in some ways, it was an easy concession to make. But it's that kind of small opening that I think gives God more room to take our our tiniest yes to him and just do much more with it than we expect. Because that was a yes to God, even though I didn't believe in a God and I didn't intend it to be. Just saying, if it's true, then yes, I would want to believe in it. And God says, I can work with that. Absolutely. Uh, So as a person that was seeking the moral good, someone who was seeking truth, 
um, somehow you managed to make it to the Catholic Church. And I know there's a lot of story that's in the middle of there, but there had to be some sort of turning points for you that might have been uh, something that was like this was this elucidated or this illuminated or this is what brought this moment to be. Yeah, some of the moments that were really important to me you know, weren't moments necessarily of exploring Catholicism, but of exploring my own atheism deeply and finding things that didn't work well. You know, I got to a point where by arguing with my Catholic friends, I was looking for flaws in Catholicism mm. to try and help them. You know, I wanted my friends to stop being Catholic because I loved my friends and I wanted the good for them. And it turned out a lot of the, you know, easy put downs of Catholicism I'd come in with didn't work very well. Catholicism was more robust than I thought. So the more I learned, the more I had this sense that Catholicism was coherent. And of course, something can be coherent without being true. A really good fantasy novel isn't describing a real place. Right. But it has a richness and a depth so that it could. It's not flat. It's not thin. It's not full of, well, this would never work. And Catholicism started to have that richness and fullness for me without thinking it was true. And at the same time, my own atheism, as I was pushing harder on that big question of, I know the moral law exists, but how do I perceive it? I perceive the world with my eyes through sight. People talk about a conscience, but what is it? What is it responding to? Um, That was where I kept feeling like I had almost a a patchwork sail on a boat for my atheism. It didn't all hold together. There were some obvious rents, but there was nothing in it I thought was false. It was pure in a way that Catholicism wasn't because... I only believed things I was confident in. And then it was the work of, I thought, the rest of my life to figure out how to bridge those gaps, how to put patches on the sail. And then you also wanted to like make sure the other Catholics knew they were wrong, too. Is there, Was that part of what you Absolutely. were doing? Absolutely. Well, because I loved them. Yeah, When you love someone, you tell them they're wrong. You now, try is, and do it in a loving way, but you don't want someone to live within a lie. Is this some of uh, your deontology uh, kind of background where you want to make sure that everybody's playing by the same rules or these rules are good for it. I'm just trying to impress my audience with a big fancy word. I think the funny thing is, of course, deontology, you know, the rules don't need your defense. They're true. Right. You know, if you don't follow them, that's just bad for you. They can't be hurt. That's actually really a difference between where I was as a deontologist with a loyalty to these abstract rules of the moral law is just kind of a, a big rule book, uh, which is, again, how people sometimes think about math. There are moments where Someone will successfully prove a theorem. And another mathematician might say, like, it's a good proof. It holds up, but it's not the one in the book. And you can tell that there's a sense of that there's a beauty to law. I just love the romance of that. Like, it's, it works. It does the job. But it's not the book proof. And people talk about math that way. Like, there is a floating book of the most beautiful ways to prove things that are true. I felt that way about moral law. But that's something that's so far removed from us that we need it. But it has no relationship with us. It can't be hurt by our ignoring it. Yeah, it starts. It's, it, it, it's like thinking about gravity and, mm-hmm. and things like that. That like, well, it exists, yeah. right? And then we're we're affected by it. But it exists. But it's not affected by us. No. And if you misjudge it in some way, you know, there's a ledge you don't see, and you trip and fall. Gravity, gravity doesn't so, mind. It's so mad at me. <laughs> it made me fall. <laughs> and you, you certainly didn't, you know, contradict it by acting as though it wasn't real, right? That was a real shift from you know, coming to know God instead of just coming to think about moral law as a rule book. Because God willingly allows himself through Christ to be pierced by our own disregard for the moral law. Now, and he does it for us. So knowing God, I mean, there had to be something in your life where you suddenly, I mean, you, you knew the, the, 
the uh, just the theory, the thought of God. I mean, because that's part of being an atheist. Because you're essentially not God, right? So, so somehow, someone, uh, somewhere, uh, you know, introduced this idea that you started to entertain. I guess. Um, and I and I would love to think it was like some kind of romantic night. It was a rainy night. Uh, your car broke down, and you ran to the nearest building. You walked in, and it happened to be an RCIA program. And you're like, "Oh, can I come in?" They're like, "Please come in and be be warm and have a cup of hot cocoa and and listen about how you love." So if it's like that, that's great. But it probably didn't work that way. I'm just I guessing. I got told not to come to RCIA the first time I asked. They're I've like, had people like you in my RCIA classes. I love it though. The the priest knew that I was on the debate group, and I think he just didn't know me very well and didn't trust me. And I, I'd said I wanted to come to the church to learn about the church from the church, but that I was an atheist. And he's like, RCIA is not for you. You would have been welcome in my class. I appreciate it. Because you know what? The honest truth is, the hard questions are the ones... I love those because... Everyone else in the room was wanting to ask him, but there's always that one guy or girl who's going to be the one that, like, you can count on them raising their hand 20 minutes into what you're saying to challenge you in some way. That's a good, I think it's a good thing. Well, by the time I wound up in RCA, I did believe in God. I did want to be part of the Catholic Church, but they still didn't play around. They got me a Dominican friar as my godfather. Oh, there you go. And I think there's such a powerful witness in that, that people's questions aren't a threat to the church. That we, we may not, the first person you meet may not have the answer, and that's okay. And people shouldn't put pressure on themselves that because you might be the face of Christ to someone, you have to be the face of the entire magisterial knowledge of the church. Mm. The witness you offer isn't, I happen to know the answer to that question. It's, I know where to go to wrestle with that question. And that might mean, I know a really like in-depth, nerdy priest who wrote his dissertation on this question. He'll go through it with you with citations. And sometimes it's, uh, yeah, that's that's a really hard thing you're living through. You know, here's an icon I pray with. You know, here's an image mm. of Our Lady of Sorrows that I turn to. You know, let's go to adoration together. Let's just bring this directly to Christ. You don't have to know the answer. You have to know where to go for the answer. This is the importance of a, of accompaniment and and understanding the concept of that journey. Was was there somebody who um, essentially invited you into the Catholic Church? I mean, what, or somebody or something? in your life that that created that moment where like you suddenly on this day you said you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna encounter this you know there were a lot of people and i think it was more a relay race even though there was one final moment it it wouldn't have mattered i wouldn't have gotten to that moment without people preparing the soil and laying the groundwork and that really ranged from people who were explicitly trying to evangelize me people who i know were praying for me actively to convert you know to people who were just interested in talking about a good book and that book helped illuminate something about their faith so uh, little seeds planted along the way absolutely. Uh, and, a, and a bountiful harvest absolutely because here you are today and I, i'm it's so blessed that you're here to tell us about this i, I do want to shift gears kind of a little bit because i know that a lot of people are going to go well good for her good for leah everything sounds great now uh, and I know you just from hearing you talk, you, you you still love philosophy, you love mathematics, you love talking, you love discussing this, and you love helping people, other people on that journey as well. I know that there's a lot of folks listening, especially maybe some parents uh, who have encountered in their own family or, the, or their friends that are encountering atheism even more, right? And there's this term evangelical atheism, right? This essentially sort of a fervent anti-Christian attitude where I'm going to prove everybody wrong. There's also these other sort of more quiet types of atheism um, that may start. They don't. They don't. Usually, kids don't launch into 
evangelical atheism, right? Not necessarily. But I would imagine that a lot of parents are worried because their kid came home from college and said, I don't believe in God anymore. Or they won't say it like that. They'll just say, I'm just not into all of that religion, mm-hmm. right? So can, let's help some of these folks out with understanding atheism, understanding where some of these folks might be. Kids, and I, and I don't mean like little tiny kids. I mean adults, young adults, people who are finding their way in the world. And that's a, that's a tough question, for especially for parents who've been going to mass all their life, and they, just, they raised their kids the right way. They went to Catholic schools, and now they're finding out their kid doesn't believe in God or doesn't practice in any kind of faith. It's really hard. You know, and I think one thing you can do is look back a little. You know, if you're getting closer to that phase, if your kids are getting close to college, what kind of formation can you do in those last years to help prepare them? And I think it's that you you don't want them to encounter the hard things for the first time at college. Mm. Um, you want them to have a sense of what that world is going to be like and have a sense of, you know, that they can call you or someone else if they don't want to always talk things over with a parent, you know, who's a good spiritual advisor, who's someone who's played a, with their godparent even, hopefully, you know, who they could reach out to in a hard moment. Because ideally you don't want... No one gets to, I don't believe in God, I don't go to Mass anymore without there being steps before that. And you want to be someone who's your child wants to reach out to or that they know someone else to reach out to earlier. So talking about your own you know, walk in the, in the faith, moments you had questions and how you responded to them. Ooh, so that's so important because that's what a lot of parents fail to do. I mean, like when as a parent saying like, hey, when I was your age, I did this and I shouldn't have done that. Mm -hmm. Like dad just admitted he did that. That's terrible. Yeah. Your kids know you go to confession, right? Right. So it shouldn't be a shock that you sin. Um, And it shouldn't be a shock that there are moments where you may not be on the best terms with God. And talking about that openly before you're kind of offering it as an answer to disaffectation is good. But after the fact, when someone kind of already feels fallen away. You know, I think the the challenge is really to both make your love very clear. Amen. That it's unconditional. I love you no matter what. Uh, but that it is rooted in Christ, right? Both. Because um, you, know, you can say I love you no matter what, but everyone knows that's unsatisfying, right? That the, the kind of love a parent gives you and they're like, well, I know you axe murdered your way through 13 <laughs> people, but I love you no matter what. Like, there's a real problem there. And yeah. it's it's all right to acknowledge that there is a problem, that there is a wound when the most important thing in your life is something your child thinks is optional now or unimportant. And to remember that they feel the presence of that wound, too. If they think church was now a mistake, you know, they know that means that in some sense they're saying that you've made a mistake. And that's hard for them also because they love you. And I guess also we should talk a little bit about when that news comes to you. Um, whether it's a, a, a one of your kids or a, a, f- a good friend or whatever, to realize that like the answer is not going to be something you just say right then and there, and they're going to like, you know what, mom, dad, you know what, you're exactly right. I'm just eschewing all this stuff with atheism, and I'm going right back to mass, like a, a like 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 you want me to. That's not going to happen, and it's likely going to be a long and sort of a bumpy ride. Yeah, I think thinking about it really as what will it take to bind up and heal this wound? That's not an instant process, or when it is, that's much more directly mediated through God than it is through us. So you can ask yourself, you know. Well, what will it take to, you know, to keep this wound clean? What will mm. it take to allow there to be healing? To remember that then when healing happens, it happens slowly. So you might get a small sign of hope that then is disappointing because it doesn't result in an immediate reconversion. How do you respond to that small sign of hope with real joy so that your child knows that you rejoice in a small step taken back towards the church without saying, well, where's the rest of it? Yes, amen. Uh, you know, and, and the idea that um, 
that you're here's something that parents need to hear i think and maybe you'll agree with me and that is they need to know that you uh that you're somebody they can trust and that that you love them and that you can have a conversation with and so if you're not already able to sit down and have a conversation an honest one and that means not you telling them what it it means listening and that part is huge when it comes because there will be problems there will be disagreements there'll be all those things but if if they know that you're not trying to sell them a bill of goods if they know that you are not trying to convince them of the truth that essentially you you're just accompanying them on this journey they're likely to tell you a lot more it's true, though. I think it's okay if they know you're trying to convince them of the truth, because who would well, you be if honesty, you weren't, You've right? got to be honest. But you do, but I think it's important that that's both things. You genuinely want to hear them out because you want to know them, but you also want what's best for them, so you do also want them to know Christ. Yeah, don't... Sometimes, sometimes people equate kind of welcoming with non-judgmentalness, right? Right, so that's not the truth. So, like, every one of my kids that disagree with me, they understand where I stand, and, mm-hmm. they, know, and they know why, and I, and I try to give them reasons, but I, I just... There's a part of me that's in the back that's like not looking that's why i was saying not to talk uh not to expect an instant response or, yeah. or an instant fix well and think about how you know you respond when someone has a bad boyfriend or girlfriend you know whether it's from your kid or just as a friend you know when you have a friend who's making a bad choice you don't bring it up every single moment but there's also a an escape hatch you offer by saying look like i love you i want you to be happy i don't think this is good for you and it means that in the moment where they reconsider whether it's good, they know that they could talk to you and that you're going to welcome them. You want what's good, but you're not also going to welcome them with a triumphalist, I told you to break up with him three months ago, <laughs> just that you've genuinely been hoping for it and you're happy for them. So there's also uh, there, there's, there's people that identify as atheists and there are people that are, that are just struggling with faith. Either way, what I do know is that there are a lot of folks out there that essentially need to know uh, the truth from you. They need to know what you believe because they're earnestly searching for the truth. So whether it's atheism or just someone who's uh, just in a state of, of, uh, of questioning, a, a state of, uh, well, really on a journey, that's why God puts them in our path and us in theirs so that uh, we can encounter them, we can, we can love them, and we can accompany them on this journey. So don't back down from the truth, but at the same time, help people know uh, that you see the goodness in them, that you see the beauty. Leah Labresco, Sergeant, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Uh, and if you guys want to know more about Leah's work, uh, go to leahlabresco.com to find out more information. And so now let's turn to the Blessed Mother uh, and allow her to accompany all of us on this journey called life. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send him an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. Visit us on the web at thecatholiccafe.com. You can also find us on iTunes or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe, serving up salvation one cup of coffee at a time.